0: There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Welcome aboard. As usual, let me toss out a couple of questions. To what common expression... First coined by a Dallas sports writer in 1976, did Richard Wagner's operas give rise? Next question. What is McIntyre powder? So there are the two questions for you. McIntyre powder and to what common expression first coined by a Dallas sports writer back in 1976, did Wagner's operas give rise? I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. My background is in chemistry, which I think is the science that ties all the other sciences nicely together because we define chemistry as the study of matter and the changes that matter undergoes. And that basically involves just about everything in life. And I think that if one develops a good feel for what molecules are about, molecular structure, and the kind of reactions in which they can engage, you have a pretty good feel for what is reasonable and what is not reasonable in the world. Well, let me start out today by uh, admitting something. I know very little about Pilates, and I must admit I had never heard of Cardi B. Well, it turns out that the two names have something in common. They were both mentioned to me in questions about chemical risks. Should I return my Pilates ring? One of the questioners asked me. And the other one wanted to know why Cardi B was promoting toxic clothing. Well, both of these questions came to me by email and they had attachments. Each one had a picture as an attachment of a warning label. The Pilates ring warned, This product can expose you to chemicals including lead, which is known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. The other email questioning about the toxic clothes was accompanied by a photo uh, with a garment that looked like some sort of neon pants. It says, this product can expose you to di2-ethylhexyl phthalate, lead, and cadmium, which are known to the state of California to cause cancer, birth defects, and other reproductive harm. Well, as I said, I don't know much about Pilates. I know a little bit about Joseph Pilates, the, the person. He was uh, a sickly kid and uh, born in 1883 in Germany. And after reading about the ancient Greek's emphasis on athletics, he turned to exercise as a possible remedy for his asthma. It seems to have worked because he became an avid skier, a boxer and gymnast. And uh, in 1912, he emigrated to England. But when World War I broke out, uh, England was not a good place to be for a German. And he was interned as an enemy alien. Very much like uh, here in Canada during the Second World War and in the US as well, Japanese citizens, even if they were American or Canadian, were interned as as uh, enemy aliens. Anyway, um, while he was in confinement in England during the First World War, he developed a system using bed springs to exercise and, against resistance. So the, the bed springs had enough of a pull on them to be used as a form of exercise. And during the 1918 influenza pandemic, none of the people that he trained with uh, these bed springs and his exercise regimen died. And he claimed that uh, it was due to the protective value of what came to be known as the Pilates system. After the war, he returned to Germany where his exercise regimen was adopted by dancers. Then in 1926, Joseph Pilates emigrated to the U.S. And the system began to gain widespread popularity. Resistant training is a big part of the program. And a Pilates ring, as I discovered, is made of plastic or uh, plastic-coated metal. And it provides resistance. You can kind of squeeze it. uh, You can squeeze it with your hands, squeeze it between your legs. Anyway, it's... uh, uh, interesting little device and it it might it is kind of reminiscent of the thing that uh, jane fonda was once uh, selling the, the so-called thigh master anyway it is the plastic component that is responsible for the warning label and we'll get back to that now for cardi b as now i know i have learned she's a popular rapper uh, and I'm not much into rapping. My likes uh, are more towards uh, Broadway music. Anyway, I learned that Cardi B is known for her sexy clothes. That's part of her image. And she has collaborated with Fashion Nova to produce a line of apparel that includes various items made of uh, vinyl. And these are the ones that uh, support the uh, warning that has caused concern among women uh, when they discovered this label after purchasing the item. So the question, of course, posed to me was, working out with a Pilates ring or wearing vinyl pants a Cardi B, does this present a risk? Well, it all depends on how one interprets a controversial California law originally known as the Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Enforcement Act that was passed back in 1986. Let's take a quick trip back to those days, uh, just before the passage of the law. Uh, it actually was uh, better known as Proposition 65, because that's the way it was noted on a ballot that voters were going to use to uh, to vote. And there was a lot of concern in those days in California about nitrate runoff from fertilizer into drinking water and solvents released by the fledgling silica chip industry uh, into into water. And the state government proposed a law would prevent businesses from discharging non-toxic substances into water systems from where they could end up in drinking water. And this law would also require warnings on items that contain substances that would pose a risk of cancer or reproductive harm. Well, this proposed law became an immediate battleground with industry, fiercely opposing it, and environmental groups and a number of Hollywood celebrities lobbying for its passage a group led by Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Rob Lowe, Michael J. Fox. They toured California in buses dubbed the Clean Water Caravan to boost support for Proposition 65. Well, the lobbying by the government and by the celebrities proved to be successful, and the bill passed by a vote of 63% to 37%. And Proposition 65 became a law. It was pretty effective in regulating discharges by industry drinking water quality improved. However, the proposed warning labels on consumer products opened up the proverbial can of worms. The the dose-makes-the-poison is of course the cornerstone of toxicology, but with carcinogens and hormone-disrupting chemicals, the establishment of a threshold level, below which risk is insignificant, is a difficult matter. For carcinogens, a somewhat arbitrary danger level was set at a dose that would present more than a 1 in 100,000 risk of cancer assuming a lifetime exposure. And reproductive toxins were deemed to be dangerous at a dose above one 1,000th of the no observable effect level as determined by animal studies. Now, this has huge safety factors built into it. These animal studies, you give animals a substance in increasing doses until you find that there is some effect. Then you cut it back to a dose that has no observable effect. And because humans are not giant rodents, there is a safety factor of 1,000 built in. So you take the dose that causes no effect in animals, you divide it by 1,000, and that is the amount that is thought to be safe for humans. And this is the amount that is regulated by Proposition 65. Well, a slight excess above that is not going to cause any harm because it's got this gigantic safety factor built in. And as far as the Pilates ring goes, well, if you were to chew on this over a lifetime, you might absorb enough lead that is in there. And it's questionable whether there's any lead in there anyway. It was at one time used as a stabilizer in the plastic, but hasn't been used for years, but they put on this warning just to be on the safe side and to avoid any lawsuits by profiteering lawyers who threaten companies with these lawsuits for not being compliant with Proposition 65. So often it pays these businesses to put that warning on, even though there is no risk from that product, just to make sure that they don't get... uh, threats of lawsuits from these uh, ambulance chasing uh, uh, lawyers so i don't think that there's a need to worry about working out with a pilates ring i might even give it a shot sometime and uh, as far as the cardi b inspired vinyl clothing well i don't think i'm going to try that one out but i don't think you're putting yourself at risk by wearing it in any case, it doesn't look to me like the kind of, of clothing that you'll be wearing very often. So while Proposition 65 has certainly had benefits in curbing the release of toxic substances into the environment by industry, having warning labels on items ranging from hammer handles to fishing lures amounts to crying wolf, like in classic Aesop's fable. And if the real wolf comes to the door once, which it may do, warnings are likely to be ignored. She me with she me with hey, today is uh, seemingly a day for uh, Maya culpa. I already admitted earlier that I didn't know who Cardi B was, but now it seems I've made a much more significant error. As I am reminded by Jody, my significant other, who listens to the show religiously, as of course she should, and who is also a yoga teacher and knows all about exercise and in fact has a Pilates ring, uh, which I used last week in a video that I did. Now she tells me that I made a big error, which now I I, I know that I did. I said that uh, Jane Fonda invented or promoted the thigh master no she did all kinds of exercise videos that's for sure but the thigh master was suzanne summer's invention and made her rich and of course i know all about suzanne summers i've had my differences with her uh, for sure uh, i've written a number of uh, columns about her and her promotion of her anti-cancer nonsense claiming that there are natural substances that can be used to, to treat cancer, claiming that uh, she, in fact, had cancer, and it was her reliance on, on uh, natural substances uh, like Iscador that uh, uh, prevented any recurrence. She forgets to tell people that she actually had a lumpectomy. Anyway, uh, she's, Suzanne, one thing is for sure. She certainly does look good. Uh, she's well into her 60s and she looks um, much younger than that. And maybe some of that is due to her thigh master and the, the exercise. So, uh, yes, yeah, so there is my correction there. I uh, should never have suggested that the thigh master was uh, linked to Jane Fonda. It is, of course, Suzanne uh, Summers. All right. Uh, I still have my questions and I do not have answers yet. I asked what is McIntyre powder? And then I also wanted to know about an expression that was first used by a Dallas sports writer in 1976. And it's a common expression. And uh, it originates with Richard Wagner, the German composer's operas. So what is the link between uh, Wagner's operas and this very common expression? first coined by a dallas sports writer in 1976. 514-790-0800 that's the number to call you can also text me at 514-800 let me tell you a little bit about nuts i like them i I, uh, eat them pretty regularly but i want to tell you something more scientific here Observational studies are interesting, but it's interventional studies that are the nuts and bolts of nutritional science. Well, let's talk about nuts and a study in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, that generated the plethora of nutty headlines about, quote, nuts reducing the risk of death. Now, that kind of verbiage drives me nuts. Why? Because you cannot reduce the risk of death, it is 100% save perhaps for one questionable example, 2,000 years ago. But the risk of death during a specific period can be reduced. And that is just what happened in this particular study. In an observational study, researchers attempt to glean information by observing the habits of a population over a period of time. In a long-term study monitored by Harvard scientists, nurses and physicians, filled out dietary questionnaires every couple of years. When the subjects were divided into groups based on their nut consumption, it turned out that there were fewer deaths among the nut eaters even when other factors such as exercise habits and calorie consumption were taken into account. Of course, this doesn't mean that nuts have some special health benefit. It may be that they just replace some less healthy components of the diet. Interesting especially given that a number of other observational studies have come up with similar results, and that nuts are rich in antioxidants, which conceivably could have health benefits. When evidence from all studies is combined, subjects consuming nuts at least four times a week show an almost 40% reduced risk of coronary heart disease compared with those who never or seldom eat nuts. Each additional serving of nuts per week is associated with an average of 8% reduced risk of coronary heart disease. Of course, only an interventional study would classify, would clarify the situation. That would involve following two groups of subjects for years, for many years, with the only difference between the groups being nut consumption. You'd have to keep everything else in the diet essentially the same. Since this would be far too challenging to organize and to monitor, we are left to make an educated guess. A handful of mixed, unsalted nuts, underline unsalted, is definitely a better snack than chips, cookies, or Twinkies. Will it reduce your risk of death? Nothing can do that. But it may help put it off, especially if you use the nuts as a reward for your taste buds after exercise. Keep in mind, though, keep in mind that nuts are rich in calories they contain fats now the fats that they contain are mostly of the unsaturated variety which is good in terms of cardiovascular disease but you can go overboard with calories pretty easily if you get addicted to nuts so having them as a snack in small doses is a good thing moderate nut consumption is something that i think anyone familiar with the tenets of nutrition can recommend all right i do actually have an answer to my question about the wagner uh, operas the expression that i'm referring to of course it ain't over till the fat lady sings and that has an interesting origin because it turns out that in many of Wagner's operas, the end comes when the female lead, who just happened to be rather uh, endowed calorically, let us say, in in, uh, in Wagner's day, sang. And uh, there are many stories uh, uh, about that, uh, you know, uh, overweight uh, opera singers, Birgit Nilsson, Maria Callas, uh, all uh had issues uh with that. there was even um, a case of an opera singer, Deborah Voigt, who was uh, sacked from royal Royal Opera House because she was too too uh overweight and could not fit into the dresses and She underwent bariatric surgery, lost forty five kilos and then was reemployed at the opera house. Did she sing better after? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big opera fan, so I don't know. Uh, I don't even know if I listen to it, if I would be able to tell the difference. But I know that, uh, you know, classically, there have been a lot of opera singers who have been uh, overweight. Not only women, men as well. Luciano Pavarotti, of course, was uh, not a skinny person. And uh, it seems also that Enrico Caruso. Uh, The most famous, I guess, of the uh, opera, male opera singers, uh, was also uh, overweight. When he sang at the Metropolitan in 1910, one of the New York newspapers wrote, There's no getting away from the fact that Mr. Caruso, who evidently did not spend last summer in fasting, if he did in prayer, was an apparition almost fatal to illusion. Um, But nevertheless, the critics apparently were very happy with his uh, performance. Uh, but, of course, it's uh, it's not a requirement for opera singers to be overweight. Of the famous three tenors, uh, only Pavarotti was overweight. The others were uh, quite slender. But anyway, this expression, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, very often used f- for sporting uh, outcomes, uh, is linked to Wagner's operas. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with the- when you're taken by surprise If a problem should perplex you Does not put your brain in gear When you're ready for adventure On the science frontier Okay, we uh, answered a question About uh, when the fat lady sings Let me uh, replace that with another question uh, Of course, we still have our question About what is McIntyre powder uh, out there But here's the next question the first patient to be treated with penicillin had an infection caused by what? So, what caused the infection that uh, required the first treatment with penicillin? Okay, you give us a call, 514 790 800. You can also text to 514 800. And I think Jerry has an answer to. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. I think the powder uh, is uh, kind of an aluminum dust that miners were made to inhale to supposedly protect themselves. Exactly. Yikes. And uh, this was first used in the McIntyre mines in uh, northern Ontario. And, uh, of course, miners are susceptible to various diseases, including silicosis, because when um, they mine, the air gets filled of a lot of, of uh, silica powder and it was believed as it turns out erroneously that if you first inhaled very fine aluminum powder it would protect you against silicosis so the miners before going down the shafts went through a room where very fine powdered aluminum was dispensed into the air and they were told to take deep breaths not only was this not protective against silicosis, but it later turned out it predisposed them to some neurological disease, particularly Parkinson's disease. And uh, there are uh, all kinds of issues still outstanding about compensation for some of these uh, minors. But it's a very interesting example of science gone wrong. And uh, something that was supposed to be protective actually turned out not only to not protect, but to actually cause harm. So that's quite right. That uh, is what McIntyre powder was, very finely powdered uh, aluminum. And just as a little side note to that story, um, it was very finely powdered aluminum that uh, played a role in in a classic movie. And uh, that classic movie was in 1939. Do you know what movie we're talking about? Uh, arsenic, no, no. I was going to say arsenic, no, at least, but that wouldn't be it. No, I don't I don't know. Okay, that, it was The Wizard of Oz. And the interesting story there uh, was that Buddy Epson, who at that time already was a Hollywood uh, star, or at least a musical star, he was hired to play the role of the tin man. And uh, in order to make him look tinny, he was covered with aluminum dust. And he inhaled some of the dust, and he had a very bad reaction to it. And he ended up in hospital. And they paused with the movie for two weeks, waiting to see if he could continue the role, and he couldn't. And then they hired Jack Haley, uh, who played the role in in the film. So it was aluminum powder that prevented uh, Buddy Epson from having that very famous role in one of the most famous movies of all time. But on the other hand, he went on to star in the Beverly Hillbillies which also got uh, a great deal of attention. All right, so now we have answered uh, that question as as well. So we still have outstanding, the first patient to be treated with penicillin had an infection caused by what? And uh, I'll ask you yet another one. What is Fregoli syndrome? What is Fregoli, F-R-E-G-O-L-I? What is Fregoli syndrome? All right if you give a if you know the answer to any one of those uh we go. will uh, you give us a call 514-790-0800 or text at 514-800 uh already have uh, an attempt at the penicillin answer that it was a, a sexual uh, transmit disease that is not the case that is not the case that's not what penicillin was first used for also i have someone asking about uh nuts uh saying that uh uh, they're allergic to one type and not another allergic to almonds but not to Brazil nuts and how can that be explained uh, actually quite easily allergies are due to proteins and the protein composition of different nuts is is different i mean they, they you know they have different genetics they they grow on different trees they have uh, different composition and the protein uh, composition can be different and you can certainly be allergic to one and not to the other Peanuts, incidentally, are not nuts, they are legumes. And if you're allergic to peanuts, it doesn't mean that you're allergic to all nuts. And if you're allergic to nuts, it doesn't mean that you're allergic to peanuts. The only way that can be found out is by uh, is by testing. All right. Uh, I did get an answer now to the uh, question about uh, penicillin. And uh, it is indeed the correct uh, answer from Drew, who very often uh, texts us. The story is, um, of course, goes back to the days of Alexander Fleming. Uh, Alexander Fleming was the first one to note, somewhat accidentally, that a mold that drifted through his laboratory window and settled in a Petri dish caused the death of... Um, bacteria that he was growing in that petri dish he was actually carrying out experiments looking for substances that had an antibacterial effect Uh, he was testing things like saliva testing tears uh, and uh, as the story goes he went away for a weekend and when he came back he saw a mold had um, uh, developed in his petri dish most people of course would have said gee you know Now i got to start this experiment all over again, throwing it all out. But he looked at it very carefully and he noted that around the periphery of the mold, uh, the bacteria had died. Now, this, of course, uh, gave him an idea that there was something present in this mold that had an antibacterial effect. He was never able to isolate what that uh, compound was, but they... uh, eventually uh, of course many researchers jumped on this uh, bandwagon and uh, eventually it was two others uh, aside from uh, penicillin uh, who discovered that that there was one specific component in there that of course we now know as penicillin that was the uh, active uh, ingredient and uh florey and chain were those two researchers and eventually they together with fleming got the nobel prize even though they they really didn't work together but without fleming's uh, original observation penicillin would not have been discovered but anyway once once the active ingredient was uh, was isolated the question was uh, will it work in people and there was a policeman Uh, who had been scratched by a rose, a thorn, and developed a terrible infection on his face. And he became the first patient on whom penicillin was was tried. And they gave him this, uh, what at that time was a crude extract, and he got better. And within a couple of days, the infection began to subside. But then they ran out of penicillin and he began to get worse again. But they didn't have any more penicillin. So they decided that that maybe some of the penicillin had been expelled in his urine after being absorbed into the body. So they collected his urine and they isolated remnants of penicillin, which then they infused into him again. And once again, he got better. And this cycle went on a few times of uh, extracting penicillin remnants from the urine and using it again as a medication. But unfortunately, they eventually ran out of penicillin and the policeman died. But this was the first ever use of of penicillin. And uh, after that, of course, soon um, became possible to produce this active ingredient in large doses. And when the Second World War rolled around the allies had plenty of uh, of penicillin to treat infections and that was partly responsible for turning the tide of, of, of war we are born to do science a baby can do it and so can you we are born to do science just out what's true just a quick uh, comment on covid this past week, I mean, of course, uh, I don't spend all that much time on this show talking about it because there's so much news, you know, about COVID elsewhere. But uh, certainly, this past week, we had three major studies again demonstrating that the vaccine does work, and. Uh, You know, I spend a lot of time during the week arguing with people, you know, who take issue with my promoting the vaccine, sometimes in in using totally inappropriate uh, language, uh, especially on my Facebook page. I mean, you know, I get attacked uh, as being a big pharma shill and all this kind of of nonsense by the anti-vaxxers. And uh, it's it's very difficult to argue with them because they don't argue from the standpoint of, of data. They argue emotionally. Anyway, this past week, three major studies came out. And each one of these demonstrated very clearly that the vaccines do work. Uh, certainly the third dose, the booster dose, is what makes the difference. And uh, in one of these uh, studies, it was very clear that getting boosted had an 82% uh, effectiveness when it came to people visiting emergency rooms and uh, this this uh, was far better than compared to just two shots uh, two shots did not keep people out of uh, emergency rooms as uh, as effectively but getting boosted was 90 percent effective in preventing hospitalizations in a, another study carried out by the Centers for Disease Control. They looked at nearly 88000 people hospitalized in 10 states and of course, questioned them about their vaccination status. And it turned out that the vaccine was 90 percent effective in keeping people out of the uh, the hospital and in, in um, in another uh, study uh turns out researchers found that among those who were boosted, there were one hundred and forty nine cases per hundred thousand people uh, of uh, omicron infection each week and those who had only two doses it was two hundred and fifty five cases it's almost double uh, that uh, and the the information is consistent. we see more and more studies of course, the vaccine isn't perfect, of course not no medical intervention is but It is very clear when you look at the data, not through some sort of lens colored by the likes of Joe Mercola, uh, but you look at the real data, it is very clear that the vaccine works. It reduces infections. It keeps people out of hospitals. It is not perfect. It is not as good as we would like to see it. Uh, It looks like boosters will be necessary, but there's no question increasing the rate of vaccination is going to benefit the global human population. I think Mary is on the line, had a question. Mary's still there? Yeah, Dr. Joe, it's a question about food safety. Okay. Yeah, in the last cold snap, uh, some cans of vegetable and legumes were left in the car, and when they were brought in, the ends of the cans were all bulging outwards. Now, do you throw that in the garbage, or is it safe? Uh, this is because they they had been frozen they were in they were left in the car when in the frozen time yeah but unopened unopened yeah unopened uh no it's, it it's this is not due to bacterial contamination when when uh, you know when you see a can that has been stored for a long time normally at room temperature and it bulges it is because bacteria have developed in there, or have multiplied and have produced a, a gas, and that's the reason for the bulging. In in this case, I I uh, that can't be the the cause because bacteria will not multiply under f- freezing temperatures. How much of a bulge is there? Uh, about as much, uh, about as much as it can uh, stretch, yeah. No, that's very interesting, and. How uh, how long were they in in the car for, in a frozen state? Uh, maybe two days. And then when you brought them inside, they, how, when I brought them inside, how, I looked at them the next day, and they, it was uh, like this. And it was bulging. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I have to think about that one. But it, this it's not a safety issue. It, this is not due to to gases produced by bacteria. Um. This is. Um, yeah, something to do with the melting, refreezing uh, cycle. I have to think about that one. Why you would get the bulging, but but I would have. Uh, uh, I'm sure that this is not bacterial contamination. So let me let me ponder that one and see if we uh, can figure out why that would bulge, and I'll talk about it next week. Oh, thank okay, you, so Doctor Joe. Have a great weekend. Yeah, interesting question. Okay, I had another interesting question. Someone wants to know about the benefits of Himalayan rock salt lamps. Well, let me uh, give you a little bit of background here. You know, in Roman times, slaves were used to mine salt. Now, well, not a pleasant chore, obviously. But today in the Ukraine, some people willingly spend several hours a day in a salt mine. They're not there to mine salt, they're there to treat their asthma or other pulmonary problem. This is called speleotherapy based on the supposed therapeutic effects of breathing air laden with negative ions, which supposedly originate from salt and fill the air in this subterranean cavern. Some studies actually do show the air purification capabilities of negative ions. Indeed, some home air purifiers function by generating negative ions, which then transfer their charge to dust particles. Those negatively charged particles... In turn are attracted to surfaces like walls and floors, which tend to be positively charged. There are also claims that negative ions make people feel more energetic. What's the evidence? That thunderstorms generate negative ions and people feel refreshed after these. Or that waterfalls, which also give rise to negative ions, make people feel good. Not exactly what I would call compelling data. And there's really no evidence that the air in salt mines has an abundance of negative ions. But certainly, there's anecdotal evidence that people with breathing problems feel better after a few hours in a salt mine. I think, though, it has to do with relaxing and being away from pollutants. What do you do if you can't make it to a salt mine? Well, you can buy yourself a Himalayan rock salt lamp. These are cropping up in health food stores and even pharmacies. They look pretty. The lamps are made by boring a hole in a large crystal of salt and inserting a light bulb. What else is inserted? A good dose of hype. If you go by the advertising, the lamps give off negative ions and thereby reduce fatigue. They also reduce the negative effects of computers, microwave ovens, and other sorts of electromagnetic pollution. And you'll be relieved to know that using dynamite to mine the salt in the Himalayas is forbidden so as to preserve the crystal structure of the salt, which of course is essential to its healing properties. Ah, yeah. Well, at least the lamps are attractive and may put you in a good mood. But there is a depressing side to Himalayan salt as well. The quacks have gotten into the game and are selling the stuff for an outrageous price with equally outrageous claims. They refer to ordinary salt as poison and deify Himalayan salt. If you eat it, they say, you'll be energized because it contains stored sunlight. It will remove phlegm from lungs, clear sinus congestion, prevent varicose veins, stabilize irregular heartbeats, regulate blood pressure, and balance excess acidity in brain cells, whatever that means. Oh yeah, it will also assist in the generation of hydroelectric energy in cells. Gee, and I thought only Hydro-Quebec generated hydroelectric energy. What poppycock. I'm just sorry that I can't use more salty language to describe this kind of nonsense anyway that is about it we have uh, run out of time hopefully i gave you some background today on uh, uh, pilates and uh, the absolutely no risk associated with using a pilates ring and how i don't think you have to worry about uh, vinyl bathing suits that you would occasionally don we talked about Proposition 65 in California. I gave you some insight into the first uses of uh, penicillin and how an unfortunate policeman died because there just wasn't enough uh, penicillin to to treat him. And uh, we also had a, a look at uh, the fat lady singing and where that expression comes from. Well, that is it. We have run out of time, but we'll be back with you same time, same station. I'm Joe Schwartz hoping that all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.